Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk here on Business News Radio. I'm Felicity Duncan and with me, Alec Hug. Well, we had some uh, news that was a long time coming, I would say, Alec, uh, recently. A mass unbundling happening um, involving, you know, uh, First Rand. And um, I know that you've been following the story very closely and that you've spoken to some of the main players. Uh, tell us a bit about what the thinking is behind this, because to me, it always seemed that, that this would happen one day. No, you're dead right, Felicity. And if you go back, First Rand was created when Larry Dippenau, G.T. Pereira, and Paul Harris uh, put their business, which was also incorporating Johan Rupert's bank that he started called Rand Merchant Bank, when they put that business together and then acquired the old uh, First National Bank, which previously was Barclays South Africa. So one of the leading banks in the country, they uh, did the deal with the support of Rembrandt or Remgro. Uh, and Johann Rupert was very involved, uh, obviously, as the chairman of Remgro in all of that as well. And they, about 10 years ago, uh, those three who ran the company, it's very interesting the way they uh, facilitated um, the transition because they took quite a lot of effort to make sure that there was no disruption. And they, this started off by each of them having a, that's Dippenau, um, Harris and Ferreira. Each of them had an opportunity to be first chief executive and subsequent to that to be the chairman. And by the time that Dippenau had uh, resigned or retired as chairman, they'd effectively been out of the business for a long time. Speaking to him, to Larry Dippenau this, um, in the last few days, he explained that it was really a 10-year process for the three founders of First Rand to extricate themselves from the business and to change it from an owner-managed business, which is what they were when well, they owned about 35% of it, to a professionally managed business. Now, as they were getting out of it, you can imagine, uh, as they founded this company, it's worth nearly 400 billion rands, that a lot of the assets were tied up in First Rand if they know and were no longer managing it, it makes sense then to not have all your eggs in the basket that somebody else is looking after. And they then would have uh, used their ability at a, their holding company where all of their shares rested called RMH to unbundle the shares from the, the first round shares that RMH had held. Concurrently with this, their supporter or their partner, Remgro, had been trading at quite a big discount because of the fact that it owned these shares through uh, the former uh, TRIO's holding company, RMH. And it then was also in a situation where the first strand shareholding had become, Johan Rupert told me today, 40% of the net asset value. At the last annual report, it was just over 35%, but it's even grown further. And it was 45%. Uh, in the last annual report of Remgro of their earnings. So, and as he put it, Remgro had not had any influence for 25 years in that company and neither did it seek any. But now from Remgro's point of view as well, with nearly half of its earnings being generated by a company where it has no influence, clearly it doesn't make sense uh, for them or it's irresponsible for Remgro to A, trade at a discount because of this and B, 
to actually not, uh, when it has no influence, to have such a huge part of its portfolio invested there. So between Remgro on the one hand and the three founders of First Brand on the other, the sensible thing to do would be to unbundle, which means distribute the shareholding, uh, the shares that are owned uh, to the underlying shareholders. So if you're a Remgro shareholder, you are now going to get First Brand shares directly rather than owning them through the Remgro package. It's it's a very common thing. We saw earlier that Naspers unbundled its shareholding in multi-choice, also because it wasn't really paying as much attention to it as it used to. Uh, Naspers, of course, now is a, is a massive international company, and multi-choice, although significant, was not as big in its lives as it used to be. And the idea then is that you give Naspers shareholders their shares in multi-choice, and they can decide whether to hold on to them directly or to sell them. A similar thing's happening here with First Rand. To me, a lot of this is about, you know, South Africa um, had a sort of a long period of isolation from the rest of the world, and slowly more and more business norms and corporate governance norms and such things are like seeping into the South African market. And to me, the unbundling of these kinds of um, interesting structures that are really an artifact of a process that took place many years ago. Um, it, it is really, as you say, sort of a, a becoming a, prof- it's a professionalization of um, large businesses that have grown past the point where these idiosyncratic ownership structures make sense. And, you know, it also follows in line with global trends to really try and unlock shareholder value. And I mean, NASPARIS is a great example of this um, unbundling to try and uh, get the right price for the assets that it holds because there is this um, this massive discount that NASPARIS was dealing with, this massive discount that Remgro is dealing with. So it's really, um, it makes sense and it's in line with, I would say, global best practice. I like what you said there. And it's in many ways as well taking an owner-managed uh, approach or an owner's approach towards the company rather than a manager's approach. What I mean by that, and it was actually a very interesting conversation I had with Pitfulun today on the subject, uh, Pitfulun from ReCM, where the owners, if you get the owner of a company uh, controlling that company, or if you look at a company like an owner, you make decisions that are economically based. So now if you have a look at Remgro and it's trading at a substantial discount because of the shareholding that it has in first rand, then as an owner, you say, but hang on, that's crazy. We don't have any influence at first rand. Um, there's, there's nothing we can do about it. So why are we holding this stock, uh, which is actually penalizing us? We're getting less money for it. Uh, because simply because our egos feel good that we've got this big share in a, in a bank. And of course, that does go off the table when you're owner managed. When you are manager managed, in other words, when the shareholders don't really uh, have the say because they're fragmented or shareholdings are fragmented and shareholders are not really paying that much attention, then you get the professional managers who will manage an organization to them there are different incentives. To them, the incentives would be bigger, often is better, and there'll be decisions that are taken not necessarily in the interest of shareholders. And you're seeing this happening internationally. There's enormous pressure to uh, make shareholders more focused on ownership. 
And in South Africa, where there's been a lot of, uh, of manager managed, if you like, um, and we were talking today, Pete Fulion and I were talking about uh, Tiger Brands. And it's almost inconceivable that the same managers who were in charge when the listeriosis issue came out and killed 200 people. This is their food. They're a food company. It killed 200 people. The very same chief executive is still in, in, in tow. He's still in running the place. And in fact, uh, just to make it even more interesting, he has decided to take Tiger Brands back into Nigeria where they had their second biggest disaster. Listeriosis was the biggest one. Nigeria is the second biggest one. And Pitt said, well, that's, that's what you get when you don't pay attention as shareholders. So there are these isolated examples, but generally speaking, South Africa is moving into the global community and the global norms are now applying themselves. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's, it's good to see, I think, and it means that those uh, businesses are going to be disciplined by the hopefully disciplined by the closer attention of shareholders so i think it's a net positive and i believe that the stock um, reacted well that the market reacted well to the news so uh, we're not the only ones who think it's a good thing <laughs> indeed yeah and also just on on that score i also had a fascinating chat with tracy davies today she runs uh, she's an she did her llb at uct and then she went to new york university a place that you'll know quite well where she did her LLM. So she is a well-qualified international lawyer who's become an environmental activist, uh, sorry, an environmental lawyer and now a shareholder activist. And she's taking on uh, Sassel, whose board meeting is on Wednesday, and First Rand, whose board meeting is on Thursday, on environmental issues. So this whole ESG story, which is also becoming very big environment, society and governance, we're seeing this coming in from outside of South Africa into the South African scenario. So you've got these two pressures on uh, managers. The one is shareholder return. The other one is making sure that you do good by the ESG standards. It's, uh, it's, it all calls for much greater professionalism or requirement to be more professional into the future, and that's a good thing. Absolutely is. Um, and speaking of pressure, I would be remiss if we did not bring up the uh, news that's been breaking over the last few weeks or even the last couple of months around the outlook for South Africa's uh, credit rating, the outlook for South Africa's debt. A lot of people are very concerned about the uh, threat of being downgraded by Moody's and the threat of being further downgraded by Fitch um, and possibly S&P. Um, Getting getting into this junk territory, what's that going to mean for us? This is bad news, and I see a ton of coverage on this, and a lot of people are very concerned. But people aren't always very well informed. So what is your take on what we're seeing and what the potential implications may be? Well, maybe starting at the very beginning, the every country in the world is rated like a client of a bank. Uh, <clears throat> And by, by that, uh, they rated them by these ratings agencies, S&P, Fitch, and Moody's. And what the ratings agencies do is that they will give you either an investment-grade rating. They've got many different uh, weight uh, scales as you go down. But th there's, a, there's a cutoff level for investment-grade. And then below investment-grade is called junk. And that's really pretty descriptive. And the further down you go on the junk scale – the worse it is for your credit rating. So imagine that as a as just a normal 
uh, individual going to a bank, uh, some people will get prime rate, other people will get prime plus seven, and that's the same way as it works in the international markets. So it's very, very important for a country, a developing country, which has got big debt like South Africa has, to keep that credit rating as as good as possible so you pay the least possible interest rates on the debt that you're borrowing from international investors. Remember, the definition of a developing country is a country that actually needs money to come in from outside its borders to develop it, to grow it. Now, the uh, ratings started going haywire after Jacob Zuma fired Ntlantla Nene in December 19, uh, sorry, uh, December 2015, 20, yeah, it was 2015. And that uh, was when up to that point, the country had been very well run financially. And at that point, when Zuma started throwing his weight around and showing his economic ignorance, S&P was the first to drop South Africa to junk status. So you had three investment grade ratings. And at the moment, S&P has taken South Africa two notches below investment grade. And in the most recent uh, concern comes on, came on Friday when S&P said it is changing its outlook from neutral to negative. And what that means is unless there's a change for the better, when the next rating comes around, South Africa will be downgraded again. Now, it's already in junk status with S&P, so it's not, it's not getting the attention it, it deserves. But even so, if you're three ratings down or three notches below investment grade, uh, to get back to investment grade is going to take at least three reassessments. So it's going to take a long time. What most South Africans focus their attention on is Moody's, and uh, Fitch, by the way, the second of the um, international ratings agencies, also has South Africa uh, deep into junk trade uh, status. But Moody still has South Africa on investment grade. And this is a surprise to many people around the world. But the South African government has really been working hard on Moody's, trying to explain what its plans are and how it wants to improve. Now, unfortunately for South Africa, at the most recent uh, rating update, Moody's took its forecast or its its outlook, as they call it, from neutral to negative, which means next time it sits down and does a rating, it's going to downgrade South Africa, which means all three of the ratings agencies then have South Africa as junk, which means that its bonds fall out of international indices and that pushes up interest rates higher. So we will pay more money if Moody's is to downgrade the uh, the rating of the South African government. Given that the interest is such a huge part of the uh, of the total budget, if the interest rates go up, it's got to be funded somehow. And the problem is that the taxes are already at a point in South Africa where they're very difficult to push them up any further. You'll remember uh, Arthur Laffer and his famous Laffer curve, where taxes you get to a certain point that if you if you increase the rates any higher it has a negative effect because it then incentivizes people to dodge their taxes. So we're in between a rock and a hard place. And at the moment, the only way out is what Ramaphosa is doing his utmost to do, and that's to bring in investment into South Africa, which will get the economy going again on the one hand. And on the other hand is to close the or stop the hemorrhaging through corruption. So those are the that's his strategy. Uh, and so far, he's making great progress. But the ratings agencies are looking uh, at the progress um, somewhat askance. And if Moody's is to decide, the progress is not rapid enough. 
well, then it's going to make that task so much harder. You know, it's interesting because I think there's a, a kind of a broad global context to this also that it, there has been in the last 10 years a massive buildup of debt around the world in market after market and the you know South Africa obviously is being assessed on its own merits and there's plenty of reason for concern and I'm not questioning Moody's decision to to um, put us on a negative uh, outlook and all the rest of it but there is um a sense in markets there's concerns about potential bubbles in debt markets we've seen debt driven currency crises in countries like Turkey and Argentina and there is a lot of also a lot of concern about debt levels in China particularly corporate debt non-financial corporate debt so really the the whole world has sort of experienced this ballooning of debt some countries um deployed the the debt that they accumulated during this period of low interest rates um, in positive ways. They invested in capital. Other countries squandered it. It's, you know, it's sort of varied across the world. But we are sort of facing a time as the economy shows. It's the old story of when the tide goes out, you see who's not wearing the bathing suits. And, um, and South Africa is being caught up in this cycle that is not unique to South Africa. And of course, I, this is none of this is to say that uh, there's not been some serious mismanagement in the past, but it is also part of a broader global uh, set of events that is affecting a number of emerging markets and even some developed markets are, you know, the UK is on a, a negative outlook. Um, at present by, I think it was Moody's, put them on a negative watch. So it is really um, a global picture right now, the sort of debt, uh, debt. I don't want to say bubble, but definitely debt balloon. Well, it, it, it is. And as the tide recedes, as uh, Warren Buffett often used to, he always uses that example, and you do see who doesn't have bathing suits, we know we haven't got one on, but we are working like heck to quickly knit one, <laughs> if you like. And, and that's, that's what Ramaphosa is doing. And if you have a look at the, the entire focus, sending out four emissaries around the world to talk to investors and say, what will it take to get you into South Africa? Having investment conferences, which the latest one was surprisingly uh, uh, much better than most people anticipated, 363 billion rands that were uh, committed after 301 billion in the first conference, which you'd think would be the more popular, and attacking corruption, arresting this arrest of, of uh, Bongani Bongo, the former cabinet member for state security. Now think about that. That's your chief of intelligence in the country who's actually been uh, arrested and likely to go behind bars. The arrest of the Durban mayor. And uh, speaking to Paul O'Sullivan today, he tells me there are a lot more arrests coming very high profile as well. That is the kind of thing that'll just tip it over, hopefully, uh, for Moody's to say, okay, we've stayed with you this long. We may as well stay with you a little bit longer and maybe change the minds of S&P when they do get round to their next rating instead of downgrading South Africa, looking at, at uh, perhaps moving, moving the outlook back to neutral. There's a lot at stake at the moment, uh, but as with a with a really bad hand of cards, uh, Ramaphosa is playing it so far extremely well. 
that's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a summary of this interview, there's one up in the premium section at biznews.com. You can sign up for premium, just £5 a month. That's going to give you access to all our great original content and all the original content of our partner, The Wall Street Journal.